Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Adam Ragusia. I'm going to be sitting in for Bob Zaltzberg today, and I'm joined here by Mary Catherine Carmichael. Mary Catherine, it's good to see you, and it's good to see that you're feeling better. Yes, I am. Thanks, Adam. I'm a lot better this week. So what are we talking about today? Well, among Monroe County females ages 15 to 19, cases of chlamydia went up 61 percent between 1996 and 2006, and for males, it went up 125 percent. Gonorrhea went up 160 percent among female teens, 200 percent for males. And for people a little bit older, 20 to 24, the numbers are even more incredible. 900 percent increases for college-aged men in Monroe County for gonorrhea and chlamydia. (laughs) And those figures are from the Monroe County Health Department. I didn't just scribble these before we uh, started the, the show. And they're in line with state and national trends, as I understand. So what's going on here? Why is this happening? Uh, how do you talk to your kids about STIs and sex? What role should the schools play? Well, we're here on Noon Edition to find out. We're joined by Catherine Sherwood Laughlin, who is an associate clinical professor in applied health science at Indiana University, and Jennifer Staub, who is the healthy schools coordinator for the Monroe County Community School Corporation. And let me just ask you folks right off the bat, why do we have this data for chlamydia and gonorrhea versus other STIs? Well, not all STIs are reportable by law, hmm. so we don't have good data to track every single STI out there, only the ones that are reportable by law. But the CDC study, I think, gives us some some good data to start with Um, because I think it's numbers we've thought that have always been out there, but now we have some data supported by the CDC saying, yeah, this is truly what we're seeing. i got to ask the obvious question. What happened to our friend Mr. Condom? (laughs) (laughs) Excellent question. I mean, this makes me want to, well, you know, Miss Condom, whatever. But, I I mean, this makes me want to go stand on a street corner and hand out condoms. Can you speak to that? Well, I I think (laughs) that most people think that whoever they with are telling them the truth and that they're they're good and they're faithful and clean, and clean oh, nice. um, without really knowing how many partners they've had, without having that conversation. And that's one of the things we stress in our sex education classes is how to communicate because you can't wait until you have a baby or have a disease to then have the conversation. It's mm-hmm. so much easier to communicate before that mm-hmm. happens. Cows pretty much left yeah. the barn at that point. <laughs> in some of the STIs don't have obvious signs and symptoms. Many people go unrecognized till they go in for an annual exam. The women typically, the gynecologist says, by the way, we tested you for STIs and you have chlamydia. You need to tell all your partners. So sometimes they, you know, innocently, they don't realize that they have it. But if you look at their behaviors and track records, sometimes. Now, is testing for STIs a matter of, of course um, now with uh, pelvic exams? No, or? no. You need to ask your gynecologist or health care provider, nurse practitioner to... Or to Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood, yeah. Anybody you, you feel comfortable going to see. And it should be done on an annual basis, if not more often, if you have, are in those high-risk behaviors. Mm-hmm. Is, is there an increase in oral sex? Is that part of the reason? And because maybe people don't use think to use condoms as frequently with oral sex, is, is, is that anything that you're attributing these, these incredible numbers to? Does that have something to do with that? I think that certainly could be, and that's what the results from our survey we did within the school showed. We started the survey because of reported increased rates of oral sex. And that was back in 2004, right? Exactly. This okay. four and years let's, let's, ago. Let's, 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 let's back up. So so what had happened was that there were some local healthcare professionals, uh, gyneco- I'm sorry, gynecologists, um, uh, dermatologists, dermatologists mm-hmm. who oh, came yeah. to you and said that we're just seeing incredible rates of certain STIs among strikingly low. And that was uh, combined with um, anecdotal reports that we heard from um, different groups of people um, from Planned Parenthood, from the um, uh, our partners at Bloomington Hospital who do our eighth grade sex ed program called Teen Options, they had given us information about stories that girls were telling them. And then also within the schools, reports that we knew of incidences that had happened. So we pulled everyone together to say, what should we do? Um, and we all agreed we needed to better support parents in how to talk to their kids about sex. So we held those meetings. They were well attended. But we didn't have, just like this data, we didn't have any concrete data to really say this is really happening. All we had was rumors and and real isolated uh, things. That's what started the whole purpose for doing the survey to begin with. And the, pro- and the process of doing the survey ultimately didn't go quite as smoothly as you'd it hoped. It didn't, <laughs> as a matter of fact. <laughs> a lot of parents uh, didn't want to provide consent for their children to participate. And uh, originally, some of that was misinformation. There was a, a, a wealth of misinformation. And once we clarified a lot of that, there were beliefs that we were going to survey 
all children in every elementary school, no matter what age there were, there were there was information out there that was completely inappropriate, mm-hmm. and we and we really worked hard to clarify that. Um, and then we also had to make compromises. We we compromised by saying we'll not do any uh, sixth graders. Mm-hmm. We wanted to capture sixth graders before they went to middle school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we compromised by saying we wouldn't wouldn't capture any sixth grade data. Then the other piece we compromised on was the permission that we went with an active permission instead of a passive permission. Oh, so anyway, a parent had to then fill out a, a permission slip as opposed to unless you come to us and tell us this is something you're not comfortable right. with, we're going to go ahead with exactly. it. For example, we're about to do our regular alcohol, tobacco, and other drug survey, and and those letters just went out in the mail, and parents should be getting those any day if they haven't already. And it's a passive permission. We inform parents. We tell them about it. We've been doing it since 1993. And if you don't want your son or daughter to do it, you sign the little thing or contact the school and let them know, and mm-hmm. then they don't have to participate. And this one, you had to actively send in a slip to the school saying, yes, I want my son or daughter to participate. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about how that, uh, that survey went and what you've learned from it. Uh, parents who uh, have questions or anybody else who wants to join the conversation are certainly encouraged to. The local phone number to call to join the conversation is 855-0811 or you can call toll-free 877-285-9348 from anywhere in the WFIU listening area. You can send an email to noon at indiana.edu. So ultimately, how many students did you get to participate? Um, about 512. Right, 512. We were hoping for about a 20%. We ended up getting 14% returned saying they would participate. And then in the end, uh, just about 10%. Mm-hmm. Um, because on the actual day of particular high schools, there's so many options of things going on. I think we had students coming to IU for a tour that same day. So there's during those seminar or SRT times at the high schools, it's hard, you're competing with everything else that mm-hmm. happens. So our, our participation at high school was much mm-hmm. lower than we had hoped. And, and even if students the day of decided they didn't want to take it, even though their parents gave them permission, they didn't have to take it. So even if we had a number for mm-hmm. them that the parents said, I want mm-hmm. my son and daughter. They, they could had, opt out. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And okay. we, had, we had a few students that few. did that. Yeah. Not very many, but mm-hmm. a few did. Well, I don't think it's uncommon. I mean, I know my son would rather take a beating than discuss this <laughs> yeah. sort of thing. You know, really. <laughs> I'm yeah. horrified at the whole yeah. prospect of yeah. this. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not letting that stop me, though. So. <laughs> I'm, I'm pushing through the Good barrier. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, that, and that brings up an interesting topic. You mentioned eighth grade is the a grade that you usually uh, – focus on for sex ed. Is that right? We, we actually begin in fifth grade where we cover it as a reproductive system, just like you do the respiratory system or all the body systems through elementary school. So in fifth grade, it's when you cover it as a body function, the reproductive mm-hmm. system. And do you talk about what happens to girls and, mm-hmm. and what? Puberty changes, right, all that. And we do it with boys and girls together in almost all of our schools now because it's our belief that if you can't talk about this with boys or girls present, with the opposite sex present, how can you ever have a conversation? So we try to normalize it. And by having boys and girls there and cover both body parts and Mm -hmm. have conversations about it. Um, And then we follow up in sixth grade with a little bit more information about relationships and about how this impacts them personally. And we're adding this time for this year for the first time. We've piloted it in one school a seventh-grade healthy relationships curriculum. And Middleway House is working with us on that one. Oh, good. So you're starting to broach the subject of control issues. Right. The, and, the and term the... I love is herding versus flirting, which is oh. such a middle school. I saw it the other day at the mall, this boy jump on the back of this little – she was a middle schooler, but she was teeny, and he was flirting with her. But I was like, stop. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's hard stuff. Mm-hmm. So, But I do – I love it that the boys and girls are together now. And so as the girls are learning um, the information – I'm thinking specifically, I guess, about that's kind of the age when a lot of girls are starting their periods. They're and starting earlier. Yeah, mm-hmm. I guess so. Mm-hmm. Um, but but then the, – so the boys understand what's going on right. too then. So right. I think that's fantastic. We covered all. It's not like when I went to school mm-hmm. and they set the girls down and watch a little movie. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And the boys got to go to yeah, the gym right. and play basketball or dodgeball. <laughs> it was, you know, the school That is not how in. it happened for so. me, just for the Well, record. that's because you're young, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that we're going to have a lot of folks wanting to join the conversation, and here's one of them. Ken is on the line. 
Oh, no, we've lost Ken. Uh-oh, call okay. back, Ken. Call back, Ken. Uh, and the phone number to call, by the way, again, 855-0811, toll-free, 877-285-9348. So it's true that, 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 that girls are having are starting their periods earlier. Why is that happening? We love it. <laughs> we look at each other. Love it just has to, has to do with maturation rates. They just, they just are. It's just kind of this generation of them starting earlier. Um, but I don't think you can say there's one complete cause for it. It's just, I think, the generation. Environmental. Nutrition. Nutrition. Mm-hmm. Better nutrition. Obviously, better nutrition is part of it. So it's a myriad of. And you have to look at the genetics, their family line. Where, yeah. When did their mother start? And How, and how so, young are we talking? Sometimes 9, 10. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Wow. What a but average is 11 or 12. But, mm-hmm. yeah, sometimes a little earlier. Right so that that's, that's the kind of thing where a parent might be in a position and say, well, you know what? I didn't get the talk about sex mm-hmm. until a certain age, and why should my child get it any earlier? Mm-hmm. But there's an actual tangible reason why perhaps policy might need mm-hmm. to be updated for mm-hmm. the times. But, you know, you, when you do talk about sex with your children, it really starts very young with just naming body Preschool. parts, just like you do mm-hmm. with the reproductive mm-hmm. system. You start using the correct terminology for body parts, and, and it's sequential, and, and according to their developmental level, you, you keep adding, just like mm-hmm. we're learning math, you don't start out doing algebra in first grade. They can't understand that, so you we, don't... We had a hilarious conversation about this with my book club, because most of my book club friends are mothers of daughters, young girls, mm-hmm. and so there, we had the vulva versus vagina discussion, <laughs> you know, how accurate do you get? Right. Because yeah. Yeah. most people re- refer to it as their vagina, but that's inside. Right, <laughs> right. And, and so, you know, of course, one of my friends <laughs> insists on accuracy in all things, and, and so she raised quite a few eyebrows over the years when her daughter would refer to her vulva yeah. in the restroom. <laughs> Or a public restroom yeah. or something, but but you know, but she knows, and mm-hmm. and so I think that there's, the, yeah. and I always think there's power in wisdom and right. power in knowledge. And so. it you know, not only helps the the child understand his or her body, but when they start communicating with a partner or even a physician, mm-hmm. they can say it hurt, you know, so if it hurts down there, well, down yeah, where, down there, you know, we'll, you know yeah. try to have those conversations just even with practitioners. I think the JJ's a little vague, yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little vague. All right. We're going to know each other so well by the end of the day, Adam. I Isn't this it. fun? Are you glad to be here with all the women? Do you have sisters, Adam? I have no sisters, but I have a wife, so. Okay, yeah. <laughs> We're speaking with uh, Monroe County Community School Corporation, uh, Healthy Schools Coordinator Jennifer Staub, and uh, Catherine Sherwood Laughlin, who's an associate clinical professor in applied health science at Indiana University. The topic is uh, talking to your sex about kids and STIs and all that other stuff. Uh, and we've got Ken back on the line. Hey, Ken. Hello. Hi, Hello? Ken. What's your comment or question? Hey, uh, I just wanted to know if you're going to take uh, husband and wives and boyfriend and girlfriends off the hook and say, uh, some of these uh, stats can be uh, acquired without sex for contact. Is that possible? Let's talk about that. Great, great thing to sure, yeah. introduce to the discussion. Thank you, Ken. Yeah. I mean, he's absolutely right. Not all STIs are sexually transmitted. So when we talk about the oral sex rates, I mean, you can get oral gonorrhea and you can get HPV, you can get warts in the mouth and so forth. So it doesn't have to be genital genital contact. And there, there are two kinds of herpes, right? There's one that's oral usually and oral and usually genital, mm-hmm. but can't they switch mm-hmm. under the right yeah, circumstances? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, that, and those are the ones that are scary that we can't cure, the viral STIs that are out there. Mm-hmm. And that's why we, we have things like maybe the, the vaccine out there that might be something that will really reduce the, the cervical cancer rates. And so let's let's bring it back to the kids who are in the area and the children who for whom these uh, these rates are just going up at these kind of striking levels. What's causing this? Is it changes in behavior? Is it changes in the disease pool that's out there? What is it? Well, I think, you know, as the, the HT article said, you know, experts worry, but we're not surprised by numbers. I think these are things we've we've seen. We just now have data to support it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't I don't think all of a sudden, all, you know, kids woke up this morning and said, I think today's the day I'll go out. And like Jennifer, I said, I think today's the day I'm going to go out and have sex and acquire an STI. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they just don't plan that far in advance. Um, but, you know, you have to look at the, the constant threat of the behaviors that go along with that, as we talked about a little bit earlier, not asking your partner, not knowing your body, not knowing the signs and symptoms. And if you are going to be sexually active, not using risk reduction. Condoms are an example. They're not 100 percent, but they're better than nothing. And so 
you know, if you're going to be sexually active, kind of like you're going to drive in a car, put the seatbelt on. You know, if you're going to be sexually active, we need to have some methods in place to, to reduce those numbers of pregnancy STIs. And we've, we've got another caller on the line, but I want to ask one more question on that before mm-hmm. we go there, which is that is there any evidence in your field to suggest that talking about things that we're talking about right now with students in the mm-hmm. schools or doing surveys like the ones that you conducted actually incre- or have, have the effect of increasing rates of exploration among these kids? No. no, as a matter of fact, the opposite is yeah. true. And there's been lots of research about that, that by teaching students by teaching kids about sex does not increase their sexual mm-hmm. behavior. To me, it seems like it would demystify things right. and, and normalize it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think that's some of the information about the abstinence-only um, studies that they found is that when students, when, when individuals who've gone through abstinence-only then do choose to have sex, they're less prepared yeah. than those who have gone through a more comprehensive sex mm-hmm. ed curriculum. Why, why can't it be taught, here's how it works, here's how things happen, but we still don't want you to do it? So, that's how, and that's yeah. our approach. In the Monroe County School System, that is our approach. We, by law, teach, and it's true, abstinence is the only 100% sure way right. that you can be free of pregnancy and STIs. And so that's what we absolutely stress. And in Monroe County Schools, we don't stop there. We go beyond and have a comprehensive program. But we're rare. We're very mm-hmm. rare um, in, in the state of Indiana and, and nationally um, in our approach to sex ed. Hmm. All right. Well, let's go back to the phones. We got Bob on the line. Hello. Hi, Bob. Bob. Hello. Hi, Bob. You're on the air. What do you got? Okay. With regard to the rumors that were flying around uh, the uh, survey with lots of uh, misinformation, were there any uh, specific groups that were organized to uh, fight the survey? Uh, um, We know that there are groups out there that are resisting sexuality education. So how specifically did the uh, school system respond to these groups, and did they mobilize any groups to uh, support the survey and the kind of curriculum that was just mentioned? Those are, those are great questions, Bob. And I guess I learned a lot during that time how quickly uh, these days of electronic communication word can spread. And we were just mm-hmm. talking about that earlier today, that it went from um, – that this was something that we were looking at to wildfire within a matter of, I think, 24 hours. It's the telephone game on steroids with the Internet. It it was. It was phenomenal to me. So to say it was a group organizing, I don't think that you could say that. I I couldn't define a specific group. I, I think it was genuinely concerned parents and then information started spreading that and misinformation started being spread. Um, and then our response to it, publicly was generally through the school board meetings and then information we would try to get out through the media initially. Then what we decided we needed to completely back off for a whole year and we did a healthy parents questionnaire that went to all 10,000 of our parents in the school system and it asked all kinds of health questions. Um, We asked about vending machines, cafeteria food, walking to school and then for the secondary students, middle school and high school, we asked if this survey were given, would you allow your son or daughter to participate And 64% said, yes, they would let their son or daughter participate. Only 20-so percent said they wouldn't, and the other 20% said they didn't care. (laughs) So so that was our deciding factor to move forward with the survey, with the compromises that we'd agreed upon during the school board meetings. And and to answer almost his his second part of the question, was there a group that was mobilized to support this? And I, I don't know if I would say a group was coerced or mobilized to do that. But however, we did have an advisory group. Um, So it wasn't just Jennifer and I sitting at a table putting together this survey. We had parents, we had ministers, we had uh, pediatricians, nurse practitioners, students, Mm -hmm. administrators from each of the schools. So it was a very comprehensive approach to this survey. So the survey was really supported by a number of people and put together by a number of people. So even school nurses who are the ones who are probably the first line of, of mm-hmm. seeing these issues oftentimes, they got to have a say right. in this. Exactly. Yeah, That's great. Mm-hmm. That's great. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to the phones. We have Gemma on the line. Gemma? Are you with Hi. us? Hi, Gemma. Hi. Um, you know, I just wanted to point out that um, people were married and had children, you know, 12 and 13 and the in the early days, oh, 16th days, century and <laughs> earlier. So I'm not sure that we're actually having starting our period early. I remember having um, class at my, in fifth grade to mm-hmm. tell about, you know, the, the uh, technicalities of having a period. Um, so that, that kind of is an objection, a kind of myth 
of the uh, of our time right now. Um, I would say that the squalid conditions, you know, the visible sores, the death that was rampant um, in those days, made it pretty obvious that abstinence, abstinence was the answer to uh, everyone. I mean, if you had, if you ended up marrying a girl that had syphilis, you didn't have babies, and that was really important then. So, so we've done a pretty uh, bad job on my generation and and everybody afterwards for uh, deceiving us about the safeness of sex anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, we deceive the children and young people even now by pretending that that, se- that sex with a condom, as somebody was trying to say in the beginning of this, is safe from SDIs uh, or AIDS, and, and it isn't safe at all, and we know that. But somehow we want to say that somehow sex is safe. It's not even safe in, in marriage, really. Um, as you as you mentioned, your son would rather be be um, take a beating, and I was honest. being facetious. Yeah, yeah. Talk about this. And, <laughs> and I even find that that men themselves even have a problem talking about it. So it's it's usually people usually don't approach it that way. And I just wanted to say that you could look in the medical manuals. And, and you can get them in the library, you can get them in the big library, whatever. And, and there are pictures of people that have been unfortunate enough to get um, any of these things and have the sores coming out. Mm-hmm. Now, I think the children don't respond so much to reason. And I think, that, you know, brain scientists will tell you they're not to the point where they can reason. But visual gets them to do things, and this is why they see on TV, they see on movies well, well, that well, sex is okay. Well, hold on a second. Gemma, let's ask uh, uh, Jennifer, I th- do you use some visuals in the uh, in the curriculum at MCCSC? Well, um, we do use some things, um, but I think that some of the scare tactics haven't necessarily worked because what happens is, is a student knows somebody who's had sex and that they don't look like that, or they know somebody who's... who's um, done something and and so the the scare tactics of the visuals don't always work because they don't see that obviously play out it's so that's why we try to do more about really in, information providing more quality yeah, the information problem is that in a brain sense they're not really to the point at fifth grade to be able to do it so they still have the invincibility the factor them. no but if you say look these are advanced cases these are cases that you're not going to see because they're going to go to the hospital so you just need to be careful because of that i mean just to say it, it isn't. I mean, unfortunately, what we're really trying to do as modern people is say our science is so great, we're so arrogant as a modern, you know, as a modern group of humans that we we want to say that we have we have overcome nature, and that somehow we can have the fun of sex without any of the without any of the danger. Jenna, <laughs> and, can, I want to I want to go back to something you said earlier, and I, first of all, I agree with you completely, and I, I want to clarify what I said earlier in the program regarding condom use. I don't think that condom use is a free pass by any means, and in fact, okay. I feel that so strongly that I'm, that is certainly not what I'm teaching my son. Um, mm-hmm. To the contrary, I, I, sh- I share your view that there is no such thing as safe sex, um, even within a marriage, and, and so no, that, that please Please let me clarify okay. uh, p- clarify that um, right away. But my comment only was because the rates grew at such an expon- in such an exponential fashion. I thought, surely, you know, uh, I, I hope you would agree that at least condom use would would cut down on the numbers. I hope you would agree with that. Regular mm-hmm. condom use would cut down on the numbers, and that's uh-huh. why I, I I made the the comment, uh, thinking, gosh, if if they're at least using condoms, perhaps these numbers wouldn't be that. Um, great, I think but that they're under the impression, which I was even, although I didn't, I, I didn't actually have sex early, but uh, to my, I was embarrassed about it, you know, but um, I, I think that they're under the impression that, that science is so advanced that there's medicine for these things. Well, that is an and, excellent point. Yeah. Excellent point, I think. And and something that needs to be included in any curriculum, which is, hey, you know, these viral infections, um, good luck to you because we, you know, we can... We're not there yet. Right, we're not there yet. We can certainly treat them, but we can't cure them. Mm-hmm. 
And even okay. the treatments aren't that great. Well, th- thanks for thanks for the yeah. call, Gemma. We're going to go okay. ahead and, and pull you off now, but we're going to let you. our guests uh, speak. Great points. Some of the points. Thanks that for you calling. Up. Yeah. And I think I would agree with her in particular. That's why we stress abstinence um, so hard. But the thing she brought up about the brain growth and and that reasoning is not mm-hmm. there. That that's also an, another reason why they end up having sex early is because their reasoning is not in place. Mm-hmm. And so the more information and tools that we can provide to make sure they're making smart decisions. And I I think as we go along, just as parents, that we, you know, continually stress those things in our children's lives that are appropriate at their age and that are not appropriate at their age. And and sexuality is one of those those things. And just like they're not ready to drive until they're 16 or vote or Mm -hmm. drink alcohol, that those are things that adults can do. And, And that's why those conversations need to be going on, you know, ongoing so those values are set and expectations are set early on. Well, this conversation is going to be ongoing for at least another half hour, but we have reached halftime here on Noon Edition. We're speaking with Jennifer Staub, Healthy Schools Coordinator for the Monroe County Community School Corporation, and Catherine Sherwood-Laughlin, who is an Associate Clinical Professor in Applied Health Science at Indiana University. We'll be right back. listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home office and garage, using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2 owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. And from South Dunn Street Project, represented by Brian Lappin Real Estate, classic bungalow-inspired architecture in the Bryan Park neighborhood of Bloomington, www.southdunnstreet.info WFIU thanks all who support public radio. Next time you're visiting one of our business supporters, please let them know that you appreciate their support of WFIU. Perhaps you're involved in decision-making at a business or profession in the WFIU listening area. If you'd like your message to reach WFIU listeners, you can find out more about benefits of underwriting with a call to 1-800-662-3311 or a visit to our website at wfiu.org. And we're back. I'm Adam Ragusea, sitting in for Bob Zaltzberg here on WFIU's Noon Edition, joined, as always, by Mary Catherine Carmichael. Thanks for being here again, despite all of your various conditions. That just... <laughs> I hope you're and, referring only to the physical. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, entirely unrelated from those conditions, we're talking about sexually transmitted infections here on WFIU. Good to clarify. Thanks, yeah, yeah, I appreciate exactly. that clarification. And uh, teen sexuality and talking to your kids about sex and all kinds of things. And we've got a big stack of emails. So, Mary Catherine, how about you give us one? Okay, here we have. uh, This is Kate from Bloomington here. I'm a huge advocate of safe sex and sex education. I actually used to be an independent parties consultant, adult novelties, and educating rather than selling products was important to me. Uh, As we know, Little Five is coming up. I have a friend from my hometown back in Iowa coming to see the chaos. We plan on making some rounds around town, and I would love to be able to pass out safe sex tools. Are there any resources around town that would want to donate? Perhaps organize a group of people to help fight the spread of STIs during this historic weekend. Pass out the condoms like our local authorities pass out underage drinking tickets. Got a little little commentary there, at the little editorial. Yeah, good stuff. Oh. Any any uh, source of I think free? The, uh, the IU Health Center is going to be actively involved at Little Five. So she might want to so, join source forces yeah, with contact the IU Health Center. What about Planned Parenthood? That you? would be another be, source. And then also the Monroe County Futures Clinic, which is right across the street from Rhinos. Um, with Monroe County Health Department. With Monroe County Health Department. Uh-huh. Wow, so they're really a, a great mm-hmm. motivation. And, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and condoms are free. Mm-hmm. Mobilization is the word I wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, good. Here's another one. It begins, I spent five years working with the at-risk young women within this community, and I devoted one entire summer to an abstinence-based sex education program with these girls. The girls told me that they couldn't talk to parents or teachers about sex because they felt uncomfortable, while the parents told me the exact same thing about the kids. Mm -hmm. This clearly shows that there is a communication breakdown when it comes to this topic. Parents assume that the kids are learning this in school, but these middle schoolers from our community honestly had no idea about STIs and prevention. One 14-year-old in my group was pregnant as a result of this ignorance. Until parents either realize that the schools aren't doing an adequate job of informing youth about the reality of their sexual world or the government changes policies to encompass holistic sexual learning, this problem will continue to exist. 
I think those are great mm-hmm. comments, um, and that's exactly Sorry. what we found in the surveys is students wanted to hear from their parents, but then when we asked them how many of your parents have talked to you, it was like half of the percent of students uh-huh. who want – I think it was 60 percent of mm-hmm. students wanted to hear from their parents. Only 30 percent had talked to them. So there is this – complete kind of chasm between the two, which is why our whole approach has been how to support parents in better talking to your teens about sex. Because we know as much as the schools can do, and we're doing a better job Mm -hmm. than probably what she's familiar with, um, parents are the first uh, educators around sex. Mm -hmm. I got to tell this story. I have a fifth grade son, and he um, came home one day from school, and he says, Mom, he said, why do some boys magellate? (laughs) (laughs) And I was thinking, magellate? And I was like, oh, masturbate. And I said, well, you know, it's really not some boys. It's all boys. And I Mm -hmm. said, you know, I know that that's not something you're really interested in yet. I said, but, you know, Changes are going to come. And, and so then I'd launch into this whole thing because, you know, they say, you know, it's an opportunity. It's a teachable opened, moment. Good a teachable job. moment. He Good opened job. the door. So, you know, one thing leads to another when you start this topic because if you explain one thing, then you kind of <laughs> have to explain the other. So I confess I my how I did make a speech. I went on for a while. So after several minutes of this, I said, so do you have any questions? And, and he said, yes, I do. He said, do you have a big heavy pan? I said, a big, heavy pan? Why? He said, so I can hit myself up on the side of the head and give myself amnesia. (laughs) Too much information. He said, too much information, Mom. And and so it's a fine line that we walk. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But, you know, I'm going to go there again. I don't care because I'm I'm determined to establish myself as the expert in this field. And I don't care if he's horrified. You know, I'm going to go there again. Let's let's, let's touch on that, so to speak. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Nice, Adam. You said teachable moments. It's Mm -hmm. not about having one kind of giant talk with somebody, some ponderous, onerous thing (laughs) Mm -hmm. like my father had with me. Um, (laughs) It's about little moments throughout a child's development like that, right? Well, an example I have with my nine-year-old is we were doing school shopping and we were going to go to the outlet malls in Columbus. And we stopped at a gas station on the way over and the the box was – tampons in the mm. bathroom and, and the car she said mommy what is what's in that box so we had i had her undivided attention in the car and Can't we had a nice out. conversation she was about eight years old and had this nice conversation about what their menstrual cycle was and cleared up some rumors that her 11 year old cousin told her mm-hmm. and and i just i kept asking her questions to see where she was because i remember we had the first talk about um how how babies leave a woman's body mm-hmm. and and she, i said where do you think you know, it happens and comes out of. And she said, it happens in the uterus. And she looked down. She said, it comes out the vagina. I said, exactly. She said, my vagina. I said, not now. When you're older and, you, you, know, you've, mm-hmm. you know, you're ready to have a baby, but not now. But she, she I let her try to kind of stumble across some of those answers. And, and, and Adam, you're exactly right. It's, it's yeah. several conversations, it's several. repeated mm-hmm. information. And you, and you say, you don't, you don't spill the beans on everything. You say mm-hmm. what's What's appropriate mm-hmm. for the time, and and I, I didn't know if you went too far or not there, yeah. Catherine. But <laughs> I, don't, I, prob- I don't know. I, I, again, I think it's this started. I started this when he was going. He goes to Binford from when he was going mm-hmm. from Rogers to Binford because I figured he was going to be around the bigger kids, yeah. and they were. He was probably going to start getting some misinformation, mm-hmm. and so I, I just told him. A I great said, example. Yeah. I said a lot of the things that you're going to hear from your friends are wrong. Mm-hmm. They don't know what they're talking about. They're making half of this stuff up or repeating something that they've heard from some other kid who doesn't know. I said, I will always, always tell you the truth, and you can always ask me anything. And that's one of the messages we give to parents is how to be an askable parent. Mm-hmm. And even if you don't know the answer, how to say, I don't know right now, but I'll get back with you. And that's you. what I said. I said, if I don't know the answer, we'll go online mm-hmm. and we'll find out what it mm-hmm. is. We'll go to a, a, you know, a doctor's site or something. Well, and- I, I want to pick up on that. You know, one of the most common arguments that you heard, especially over the period leading up to the survey administration, was that uh, – was that it's you know it's 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 not the school's business. This is the parents' business to handle this. But I wonder, especially in the contemporary world, if we can realistically expect average parents out there to be qualified to fully have these conversations when there's a lot of you know sex and sexually transmitted uh, infections are complex physiologically mm-hmm. and psychologically and and really it probably requires a great deal of expertise like that which both of you have acquired throughout your your lives mm-hmm. of training more than to talk more about than it. I want yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I think that's great because. It, 
you don't have to be an expert on all the diseases. You just need to know that abstinence is how you don't get any and mm-hmm. that if, if your child asks more questions about risk reduction, you don't have to know the different kinds of diseases. You just need to know some of the basic information about mm-hmm. how to reduce risks about mm-hmm. that. So. Mm-hmm. And you can always – I've found with younger kids, if you – when they ask a question, sometimes ask one question back to put it in perspective mm-hmm. of where it's coming from because then you might give too much information. Right. Yeah. So – and with the older kids, sometimes you just answer their question and that's I, it. I learned that one the hard way too. I, I went to the bookstore and I read all the books about – you know, that they were um, targeting children as far as a way to read this book mm-hmm. to your child and then stimulate inform- – or a conversation with them about this topic and this was the – in between, you know, one school and the other. And uh, uh, so I, I <laughs> gosh, this is so funny. I start reading this book and he goes, Mom, stop. He said, what is this book about? And I said, well, it's it's about, you know, where babies come from. Basically, he goes, do you mean mating? <laughs> I said, well, yes. Well, he r- goes, r- rather clinical. Yeah. <laughs> I said, well, yes, it is. And he says, I know all I need to know about mating. And so I stopped then. Because yeah, that's all he wanted to yeah. know. That's and I was I like, okay. That's exactly well, – and the Monroe County Library has been a partner in all of this and at each of the sessions, they bring books from the library um, all the way from preschool through mm-hmm. high school for both parents and teens. There's a wealth of information. Well, we're, in we're going to get back to that at the end of the program. We'll talk about some specific resources that we can direct parents to. For the time being, we're going to go back to the phones and uh, Carol, you're on the program. Hi, Carol. Hi there. Um, first of all, I want to thank Mary Catherine for being willing to put yourself out there as the parent who's tried everything. <laughs> <laughs> Every one of us has already gone through or will go through. That's great. You're so – it's a public service that not everyone is willing to do. So. Well, thanks, Carol. <laughs> I, I've looked foolish on this show before. I'll probably do it again. Well, but, I mean, it supports the whole point. But, you know, really the point that – first of all, I want to thank um, everyone who's involved in this study um, for working on this. And, um great program, but I wanted to respond. I haven't listened to the whole program, but I listened to a, a, a last couple calls, and I, wa- I just wanted to respond to support what I hear you all saying about, in response to the call about scare tactics. Um, the really, scare tactics are not effective in terms of the research that's been done on scare tactics in terms of helping people to change their physical beha- health behaviors. And that's true for adults, by the way, as well as for children. And we, we all know that we might get a ticket when we speed or have be more likely to have a car accident, and we might have higher cholesterol and more problems if we eat sugar and fat, and we might lose have gum decay if we don't floss our teeth, and still we do those things. And children, as we, you all were saying, are even less able to sort of reason through that. And the point that children don't – teenagers aren't planning to have sex based on, oh, I think this is a safe activity and a reason sort of approach. That's not what's going to happen. But the information about that this this study really highlights that children really want to hear from their parents and that the research supports that children who do hear from their parents in those ongoing, honest, sometimes humorous, maybe not, maybe a little awkward ways, <laughs> are going to be better off in the future. And they're going to be able to talk to their parents as they go through puberty and anxieties and relationship questions and concerns and are not afraid and aren't scared off by the topic and scared by the conversation, they're going to be able to get ongoing information developmentally appropriately as they need it because they'll be more willing to hang in there with the conversation that the parents have. So I just want to thank you all for, for focusing on that. And then I wanted to make one other comment, which was in response to the question about condom distribution, the RAISE student group oh, out of the Office of Affairs is going to be Thanks, heading Carol. up the... <laughs> A, ray, a condom distribution for little 500. Oh, that's and if great. somebody wants to participate, we're working with the health center and Commission mm-hmm. on Personal Safety on campus on this. And um, they have a phone number, Carol. They can call 855-3849, or they can email us at raise at r a i s e at indiana dot edu. Hey, Carol, before you hang up, mm-hmm. I think it's important um, that we acknowledge our children's sexuality. And mm-hmm. that they are sexual beings. Um, and I think that, you know, yep. to just say, no, you can't do this, and, and then, you know, make the whole thing wrong. I mean, most of us want to be grandparents, so we don't want to, <laughs> you know, poo-poo the whole thing. But I remember something my mother said to me that um, 
really stuck with me throughout high school and, and beyond. She said, you know, there, there are going to be times where, where this sounds like a really good idea, <laughs> you know. And she said, but you, you need to, to try to maintain some objectivity and, and slow down and, mm. and stop because mm-hmm. even though everything in your body is telling you that this is a good idea, you need to let your head be in charge. And even though your peers and your friends may all be seeming to be telling you, that this is a good idea, and the media may be telling you that everyone mm-hmm. seem to be telling you that everyone's doing it. In fact, it may not be a good idea at <laughs> right, this moment. Right. And see, what's wonderful is you remember that conversation with your mother. Yeah. You remember what she said to you, mm-hmm. and you, it impacted you in your decision-making. Definitely. And that is just absolutely the point that I think is the most important just to add to that, Carol, because it, it makes me stop and think about when we talk about sexuality, you know, we don't hide it in a box and it comes out at a certain day. It's really it's part of who we are. And the, yeah. the fine line is how do we educate our kids about something so wonderful that you share with somebody that's so unique? And as your mom said, Mary Catherine, that it might sound good right now, but when's the best time for this? That we don't make it it's all negative until you get married and, and you know, so forth. That that's, that's when it all comes into play, that this is when it becomes wonderful when, when you're married. And that how do we help kill, children embrace that? Um, look forward to it and say, this is something wonderful, but, you know, but we had all these negative messages about it. So how do we find that fine line saying this is a really wonderful thing that we get to share and have as part of who we are, but, you know, at this point in time in life, it's it's not a good idea. Yeah. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, I, and I just, I think you're absolutely right about that, Catherine. It's just so um, important for us as adults to be able to say exactly that, I think, mm-hmm. to kids. Mm-hmm. This can be wonderful. And in fact, I use it when I'm dealing with um, assault and abuse prevention relationships, too. Mm. If this isn't feeling right, then something isn't right. It should feel right. It should feel wonderful. It should be an excellent experience, a positive experience, which is Mm -hmm. why... You need to have a lot of things in place for it. Right. And younger kids' w- willingness to say, ooh, yuck, that's, you know, I don't want to discuss that, you know, mating, I know everything I need to know about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's a normal normal thing, and so we can capitalize on that as long as we can and say, that's right, you don't, and that's right. just fine, and you shouldn't, because that's actually an adult thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And adults find that and a, and a wonderful way to communicate with one another. And kids are going to mm-hmm. think, communicate? you got to be kidding me. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very, very be much Be sure and give call, us your Carol, title, yeah. Carol, so everybody oh, sure. knows Car- it's you. Carol, I'm you- Assistant Dean for Women's Affairs at IU. Thank <laughs> Great use. Bye bye. And Carol has been on our committee as well. And on our show. There you go. She's great. Uh, We've got one more caller on the line. We're going to go there. We got Wayne. Hi, Wayne. Hi. I'm an old guy, and I've studied studied the history of sex education. Here's a little history. Oh, yay. We we had no sex education until the night in Indiana public schools, not until the 1950s. In, in 1950, with no public school sex education, we, we high school students only knew the names of two STDs. We called them venereal diseases. Mm-hmm, right. And we had never heard, we had never heard of chlamydia, we had never heard of genital herpes, a number of, of diseases we had never heard of. We heard of syphilis and gonorrhea. Those were the only two we knew, but nobody knew anyone who had ever had these venereal diseases. Venereal diseases were virtually unknown in middle-class America in the 1950s. And, 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 and in 1950, the out-of-wedlock birth rate was one baby in 25. One baby in 25 born out of wedlock, and there was no abortion then. Then came the 1960s. Now, you remember, the 1960s were the sexual revolution. Sex education was well established when when those old-fashioned, outdated morals were overthrown. And and it was at that time, if you look at a graph of of out-of-wedlock birth rates, the graph of of out-of-wedlock birth rates turns up sharply right along with the institution of sex education. And, And STDs, in the 1960s, STDs were not yet a problem. By, but by 1973, the, the out-of-wedlock birth rate was one baby in eight. Remember, in 1950, it had been one baby in 25. By 1973, it was one baby in eight. And, and, and so in, in 1973, abortion was declared a constitutional right. And one of the arguments used by abortion advocates was that if abortion were legalized, unwanted babies could be killed before they were born, and that would help solve the problem. When abortion did not only not solve the problem, 
but out of wedlock birth rates, just they, they just kept rising at the same rate. You look at a graph of the rise in out of wedlock birth rates, there's not even a ripple at 1973. Nothing happens. It just keeps right on going up. But about this time, there was some controversy about whether comprehensive sex education, it, comprehensive sex education was well established by now, and, and Planned Parenthood was sponsoring it. And there was controversy about whether comprehensive sex education was helping or hurting the problem of unwanted pregnancy. So Planned Parenthood themselves, they, they, they sponsored comprehensive sex education, and they hired Lewis Harris. They hi, hired the Lewis Harris Organization to evaluate the effect of comprehensive sex education. Lewis Harris found that comprehensive sex education did not reduce premarital sex, but actually substantially increased it. Now, you would think that as soon as Planned Parenthood learned that their sex education was aggravating the problem, they would have stopped. They didn't stop. They intensified their comprehensive sex education. In, in recent years, abstinence-based well, sex education has been mandated in some public schools, and it has worked. Well, Wayne, you've touched on a lot of points, and, uh, and Catherine Sherwood Laughlin studies this as part of her work, and so we're going to let her speak to some of these points. Well, I can't, you know, there's lots of things that, <clears throat> excuse me, that you have said, um, and, uh, you know, I don't have the resources right in front of me uh, that you have had, so I don't want this to turn into a he said, she said, or an argument or anything along those lines. But, um, but we, do, we do know that times are different in 2008 than they were in, in 1950, and we have to address what's happening. And, you know, there's very few school corporations that have a K-12 through comprehensive human sexuality curricula. Monroe um, County Schools does a nice job with starting it in fifth grade and, and moving forward. But you know, if you're looking at a true comprehensive K through 12 form or, or, or program, um, you're going to get that sequential education. And I don't, I don't think we have um, we have data to support to support either one way or the other um, what this is doing. The more I think, the more we talk about, the more we educate, the more we keep people and students and parents in the forefront and, and know about this information, the better we are. Also, we didn't have the medical technology to be able to identify all those STIs. Yeah, and I think so, to take any of those comments out of a cultural context yeah. is, is, is right. probably not valid. And I just can't imagine, Wayne, that you have chosen to take the position of championing ignorance. Um, I, I find that uh, very unsettling, and uh, I don't think that you're... Um, the case that you make uh, is is valid uh, only because you take these numbers out of context and out of a cultural context, and, and I just don't think that that's going to hold water for us. But I do appreciate your call. We, we appreciate the call, and all points mm-hmm. of view are, are welcome on this program. Yeah. Uh, we have another email to go to. All right, here we go. It says, um, did the misinformation about MCCSC's sex survey come to a significant degree from an organized religious group? Uh, is there a local pressure to suppress education about condoms coming to a significant degree from edu- organized religious groups? So they want to know if, if religious groups are, are uh, entering into this uh, you, dis- you know, discussion. When we first started hearing um, some of the concerns and some of the um, uh, um, Oh, controversy about the survey. There certainly was a religious connection to some of that, but there was not a definite religious identifiable group. But because of the concerns um, and knowing that the that um, that there was some religious context, we then invited um, uh, Tom Ellsworth, the minister from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church, to be on our panel, mm-hmm. and he's been a fabulous um, mm-hmm. addition to our group and just. Uh, has been very helpful as we then moved through getting parent, um, parent the parent healthy parent questionnaire out. He was instrumental in that and analyzing the information and then moving forward with the decision and 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 actually the actual questions in the survey. We went through every single one of them and he was present on that. So I don't think there was an organized church or an organized religious group, but we but we certainly recognized that there was a religious overtone to some of the objections. Okay. Well, water under the bridge, as it were. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have just uh, four minutes left in the program, and I want to be sure that we leave plenty of time to uh, direct parents to resources that you folks think might be valuable to them. Let's first of all talk about uh, resources to help uh, parents talk about sex with very young children. Um, The Monroe County Library has provided several book resources, and and we have those that we hand out at our our, um, parent sessions. We have another one coming up on Tuesday at Tri-North, noon, and then we're repeating it again at 7 p.m. 
Uh, they some of them that they have for for young children are um, books like Beyond the Big Talk, Every Parent's Guide to Raising Sexually Healthy Teens. Um, there's another one um, from Diapers to Dating. Um, there's several really good ones, and, and they're very age-appropriate. Um, I've got a used one. They're welcome to. <laughs> <laughs> got a few of those yeah. myself. <laughs> uh, and, and the library's put together a list that we have available that has information for parents of all ages, for parents um, and for teens, for uh, religious um, particular um, resources and that kind of thing. Um, otherwise, we if you're not able to come to the session, feel free to call me or email me, and I can send you the materials. Um, I've had three parents today call me, and I sent them the materials. And your email so. address? J-S-T-A-A-B at M-C-C-S-C dot E-D-U. Okay. J Stab. And I, I want to point out that our, our listening area extends far beyond Monroe County, and we have a lot of listeners in, 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 uh, in Brown County and Bartholomew County, over in Vigo County, Terre Haute, and in Howard County even with Kokomo. Uh, do all school districts have someone like you, Jennifer, a healthy no, school coordinator? I wouldn't imagine. No, yeah. they don't. Uh, it often, every school has to have an HIV AIDS coordinator because we're required by law to teach HIV AIDS, and you have to have one person that it goes to. But generally that's somebody who already has their plate full, an assistant superintendent or the mm. nurse or somebody. So, no, unfortunately, um, they don't. So conventions are pretty lonely for you then, huh? Yeah. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Catherine, anything you want to point uh, parents to as resources? Well, I th- you know, one of the things I've noticed in this whole process is the community effort that's involved with this, is that, that there are um, a number of – we're fortunate in this area that we have a number of um, agencies and organizations. Um, as Jennifer said, books are always appropriate. Any of us on the committee when we're doing these talks, uh, myself, Catherine Brown from the IU Health Center, Carol McCord from IU, um, Sheila Evans from the hospital, mm-hmm. uh, Penny Caudill. So we're looking at the hospital – um, and we also have a pediatrician at every session, so Southern Indiana Pediatrics would mm-hmm. be a good place to go to as well. Okay. So, um, and there are all national hotlines you could call, phone numbers, and so forth that are available. And just in our last minute, uh, <laughs> are there any future uh, data gathering opportunities that you'll be pursuing? And we're looking at how to do gather the data so that we get a higher percent return. And some of those strategies, we're still kind of working the bugs mm-hmm. out. And so some I, more longitudinal mm-hmm. data. And, and possibly instead of every grade looking at, at um, 8th, 10th, and 12th and tracking it every other year. So we've, we've got different conversations going about how to do that. Well, we look forward to following mm-hmm. all of that. I want to thank mm-hmm. you both so much for being thank with you. us. This thank was uh, Jennifer Staub, Healthy Schools Coordinator for the Monroe County Community School Corporation, Catherine Sherwood Laughlin, Associate Clinical Professor in Applied Health Science at Indiana University, and uh, Mary Catherine Carmichael, as always, thank you so much for being with us. I'm Adam Ragusea. Bob Zaltzberg should be back next week, and I know everybody will appreciate uh, hearing them. Hearing him, certainly I will. Uh, so, <laughs> you did so, a great job. Thank you very Adam, much. Thank work. you very much. Uh, so for producer Catherine Hageman, engineer Mike Pascash, thanks so much for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at wfiu.org. Thank you.